Some of you might know that last year, in June, July, uh, there was myself, our family, and, and three other families that went on a trip through the Red Centre. We packed our car, our tents, our camper trailers, our caravans, and we took with us more than one coat because it was June and July. We took with us more than one pair of shoes and our money, money sacks as well. We weren't sent out like Jesus' 72 disciples here. We went much more comfort than they did. Some of us more than others. But before we get into this passage in great detail, I want to um, look at the 72 disciples I want to look at the, the, um, the significance of this event in Luke's overall emphasis and Jesus' overall mission. Keep your Bibles open there in, in chapter 10, but we will flick forward and back throughout Luke. Um, particularly, I want you to turn over one page to, to Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 6. And there we see that Jesus had already sent out his 12 disciples, to do exactly the same thing. The instructions are very similar. He says, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Now we see that Jesus sends out 72 other disciples. And when we, look at Matthew, uh, when we look at Luke's emphasis and who he addresses his gospel to, we can see that, that, we, can see, we, can see that the reason for the 72 disciples here. We see that he writes to a Gentile audience. He writes to a most excellent Theophilus. There's a baby name if ever you need one. But what we know about the, the author of, of Luke's Gospel and, and Acts as well is that he's most definitely not Jewish. He is a man who is, is not Jewish, in particular, most likely a Gentile. Well, if he's not Jewish, he's, he's definitely a Gentile. <laughs> But the significance of the 72 here is that Luke is, Luke is using this to symbolise the good news of Jesus going out to all nations throughout the earth. In your own time this afternoon, you can have a look at Genesis chapter 10. And it's called the, the clans of Noah. Um, I'll just quickly turn there. Genesis chapter 10 and again, if you need a baby name, there's, there's plenty of baby names there as well. The last, last verse of chapter 10 says, These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to these, their genealogies, in their nations. And from these nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. So Luke is using this passage 
in Genesis chapter 10, where there are 72 names of the nations of the earth, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, and all those other ites, to symbolize that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just for the Jewish nation. It is for all nations. And so the 72 disciples is, is symbolizing the, the gospel going out to all nations. I'll remind you of the Great Commission in, in Matthew chapter 28, 19. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of, and of the Holy Spirit. And Luke says a very similar thing in, in chapter 24. Verse 46, he says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So from Luke's perspective of the writing of his gospel, he's noticed that Jesus has triggered an event that has, has kicked off the gospel going out to all nations of the earth and that all nations of the earth would eventually be blessed through Jesus, through Israel and through God's commitment to all nations of the earth. Have I said all nations of the earth enough to get the point across to you? Luke writes to most excellent Theophilus, a Gentile man, to assure him that the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God coming near, is not just for Israel. It is for all who will believe in Jesus and be saved. And our passage this morning has some timeless principles in it for disciples of Jesus Christ. Timely, given that it is May Missions Month as well. The first one that we see there in verses 3 and 4 is that a disciple should travel light. Jesus tells his disciples to go with no money bag, no extra coat, no sandals, just what they had on them. Can you imagine the look of dismay that might have been on, their, on the disciples' faces? What do you mean, no money bag, no extra coat? What if it gets cold? What if we need to buy something? What if I wear out my sandals on the long walk? No provisions whatsoever? The reason being that the disciples were to trust God that he would provide everything that they needed. Since Jesus says the workers deserve their wages. They were to go about proclaiming the kingdom of God, going before Jesus and trusting God for every need, material need that they would come in, that they would need. You might have heard it said that the man with the most toys wins. I'll tell you it's not true. The person who trusts in Jesus with their whole heart and their whole life wins. 
Those who work so that they can buy another car, extend their money bag, or buy another pair of sandals, or another house, or another caravan, or a jet ski, or a motorbike, you generally end up working so that you can pay the interest on all of these things. It's amazing how many people you see working these days where their children go into daycare and both parents are working full time. One of them ends up working three days a week just to pay for the childcare bill, don't they? No matter how many things that we have, it's never enough. Material things might might satisfy for a little while, but they, they always leave us longing for more and more. Please don't hear me in saying that, that we shouldn't work because we are created to work. Please don't hear me in saying that both parents shouldn't work as well. But don't hear me saying that that we should sell everything in order sell everything that we have in order to follow Jesus and proclaim his kingdom. What I am saying is that we shouldn't be chasing after material things and that we should count the cost count the cost of following Jesus. It's nice to have a lovely home and a reliable car and a, and a holiday once a year. But if that is our focus, if that's what we're chasing after, then we're missing the point. And I go as far as to say that we're not really followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus is, is, is our example and, and he says that he never had a place to lay his head. Can you imagine the impact if, if each of us, the headlines perhaps, if, if each of us sold everything that we owned and started a little community? No, it sounds like a cult, doesn't it? <laughs> but if we were that in tune with God's spirit where we gave up every material blessing that we have, in order to proclaim the kingdom of God, can you imagine what people might say? They'd say you're crazy for a start. But if the kingdom of God has impacted our lives in such a way where Jesus has paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we could have peace with God, should there be anything that we are unwilling to give up? in order to chase after Jesus. There shouldn't be anything that we should chase after more and more than, than what we have in Jesus Christ. There shouldn't be anything that is more enticing to us than the name of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. The one who gave up his life in order that we would have peace with God an eternal life.
My first principle is that a disciple should travel lightly, that he, should, he, she should count the cost of following Jesus. And a disciple should not be distracted. The 72 were told not to go from house to house in verse 7 and take advantage of people's generosity or hospitality. They were told if they were accepted into one place, they were to stay in that one place. This is a quite a humble way of going about and spreading the, the kingdom of God, isn't it? They were to stay in the first place offered to them. They weren't to, to stand up in the middle of the town square and say, hmm, uh, you, you've got the nicest house, I'll come to your place. No, they weren't supposed to do that, were they, Bree? All they had to do was find a person of peace and to go and stay with them, to eat what was put before them and to proclaim the kingdom of God there and allow their peace to rest upon them. If we were to go about proclaiming the kingdom of God, making disciples so that we seemed great in our community so that we achieved a position of stature or were looking to build riches, our motives are impure. And a disciple of Jesus should not be looking to gain from our position or be distracted by what the world can offer. Far too many times you hear stories of, of ministries beginning whether it be overseas or here in Australia. And the ministry flourishes and then someone gets distracted. One of the main founders gets distracted by stuff, by money, by fame, by material blessings. And the ministry crumbles. It has a detrimental effect on the, the public perception of the church and of God. And if we are followers of Jesus for what we can get out of it, then we are not following Jesus 100%. We're following our own desire for wealth, health and happiness. And the same can be said of coming to church for what I can get out of it. Is the music right? Are the chairs comfortable? Is the lighting right? What do we come to church for? Are we coming to church to praise God, to give him the glory, or are we coming to, to serve our own selfish desires? Are we coming to church to, to be encouraged and to be an encourager to others in the church and serving others in that way? Or are we only looking to be served ourselves? Jesus himself said that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And so we should model and follow that model. A disciple should not be distracted. They should stay in one place. They should not take advantage of people's hospitality and they should be not trying to profit from the name of Jesus Christ. 
What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Thirdly, a disciple should proclaim the kingdom of God. Verses 8 and 9, 10 and 11, you can see there that, that the disciples, regardless of the response of the people, they are to proclaim the kingdom of God. There's a positive response and there's a negative response. Verses 8 and 9, you can see that there's a positive response and the, the disciples are, said, are told, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, that's positive, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But then verses 10 and 11, Jesus says that there will be people that won't receive you. Whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. This was a sign of, of coming judgment, to kick off the dust that clings to your feet and leave the town. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. So we can see that regardless of the response of the people, the kingdom of God is to be proclaimed. Our commission is to make disciples, isn't it? Matthew 28, 19. So shouldn't we continue to make disciples and proclaim the kingdom of God through our words and our actions regardless of the response or the criticism or the opposition that might rise up? Shouldn't we? If evangelism and mission is not something that is forefront of our essence as a church, we will slowly die. If proclaiming the kingdom of God as a people, as individuals and as a community of, of God is not forefront in our ethos, then we will slowly die. You might have heard me say that the church is not the building, it is the people. we should not be thinking that people will come to church because of our nice building. Trust me, non-Christian people have better things to do with their time and effort than come to a nice building on Sunday morning. Evangelism must start with the people proclaiming the kingdom of God must start with creating a relationship with, with people outside of our, our little um, community of God that we have here. Perhaps inviting them over for a meal, flipping this model that we have on its head instead of going to people and receiving a meal and proclaiming the kingdom of God, perhaps we invite them to have a meal with us and proclaim the kingdom of God to them. 
On Monday night at our Monday night talks, Chris McCleavy reminded us that our homes can be used as great vessels of showing God's love and proclaiming the kingdom of God. Let's be people who are a hospitable people. Because the world is a lonely place. Let's be people that have an open door policy and, and are hospitable, sharing the blessings that we have had and we've been given with our neighbours, with our friends, with our non-Christian friends and family. And let's proclaim the kingdom of God through our actions and our, need, and our words. Next, a disciple should make more disciples. Jesus says that the, labor, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus uses an image here that is, was not uncommon in, in Scripture, and, and particularly with Jesus' teaching. He, he uses agricultural or farming analogies in order for people to understand what he's talking about. If you've ever worked on a farm or even seen work going on on a farm, there's different times of the year where it is super busy. Planting time and harvest. The reaping and the sowing is one of the busiest times of the year. And it's not uncommon to work from 6 in the morning till 12 at midnight. If you, especially if you're trying to, to bring your crops in in order to beat a bit of weather or gain the best price for your harvest. And you're working flat out. And it seems like there's not enough labourers. And you could always do with one more person to help you out. It's the same with, with our walk with God. As disciples, there's always more to do. There's always more souls to be saved. And we should not be thinking that it's the pastors or the evangelists or the missionaries' job to make disciples. It's all of our task. We have a varying role, all of us, I'm going to be so bold as to say, if you're not willing to be involved in being sent out into the harvest field, to be a worker in the field, and don't pray what, God, what Jesus says to pray here. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. If you yourself are not willing to to pray that prayer and to be sent out, whatever that looks like, whether it be overseas or into, into a local school or, or just to be a witness to your friends and family. Don't be asking God to do something that you're not willing to be sent out and do yourself. Like I said, you don't have to go overseas to engage in mission. You don't have to go to New South Wales to engage in mission. Thank goodness for that. 
because they always lose the origin. (laughs) The moment that you walk out this door this morning, you are entering your harvest field, your mission field, the Lord's harvest field. Even within these doors this morning, there are people who long to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ who are, who are early on in their journey with Jesus. And so mission is not someone else's task. To grow disciples, to make disciples is not someone else's job. It is our job. In order for us to grow in our faith, we need people to help us. We need a community of God, of people around us. And if you're looking for something that would have a huge impact in the life of a new disciple, an old disciple, ask them, find someone, pray about who God would have you meet up with regularly and and read the Bible together, to pray together, to grow in your faith together, to be mutually encouraging to one another. Mission is the task of all disciples. Disciples are called to make disciples. Finally, a disciple should have an eternal mindset. In verse 20, Jesus says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. We've been in Brisbane just over six years. I'm going to find it hard to tell this story. We moved from, from Western, Western Queensland and we'd lived in, in a small town called St George for, for many years. Before moving to Brisbane to to come to Bible College to train to be a pastor, we had to downsize a lot of our stuff, our material blessings. And as you can see, it was difficult. There were some things that were hard to get rid of. We had a nice couch, a nice cupboard, a nice dining set, Some good pooches, dogs. (laughs) And we both, all of us, found it hard to get rid of these things. And I remember Jody saying to to me one day, what's a couch in the face of eternity? What's a cupboard or a dining set? or a a couple of dogs in the face of eternity. And what Jesus says here to the, the 72 in verse 20 is so very applicable to us as well. Do not focus on what power has been given to you here on this earth, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that that Jesus has saved you. Rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins 
to give you forgiveness and righteousness. This life is very, very hard, isn't it? And if you stick your, stick your neck out for Jesus, it, it only gets it, makes it more the harder. You can come across fierce opposition. You can come across just difficulties, both personal and from outside of yourself. Jesus' words here, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So much of an encouragement to the 72, but also to us. Don't be saddened by the state of the world at the moment as it continues to decline all the more. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, your name is written in heaven. And there is nothing that can take that away. Opposition, darkness, sword. People can take your, your physical life, but they can't take your salvation. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So don't be afraid to stick your neck out for Jesus. Don't be afraid to go and travel lightly through this, earth, this life. Don't be afraid to, to proclaim the kingdom of God, to make more disciples. The good news of Jesus Christ crucified and ascended is so that we might have peace with God, so that it might impact our lives, so that we can have eternal life. And it's not a message just for us. It's a message for all people everywhere to hear and to respond to. So I'll leave, with, I'll leave you with these questions. Are you distracted? Are you travelling through your discipleship journey with, with Jesus but still trying to gather as many toys and, and possessions as possible? Are you in this just for what you can get out of Jesus? Health, wealth and happiness and a, and a ticket to heaven? Are you proclaiming the kingdom of God has come near? Are you making disciples? Are you growing as a disciple yourself? And are you proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come near regardless of the response Have you got an internal mindset? Is your focus here on this life now? Or is, is it on the life to come? Because Jesus didn't die in order for us to have a comfortable life. He, he died so that we could have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Before we come around this communion table, if there's a, a time where you need to, to refocus, whether it be on your mission, whether it be having an eternal mindset, I, I 
I charge you to do that this morning before we come around this table. This table reminds us that that Jesus' body and his blood was broken and shed for our sake so that we could have forgiveness of sins, so that we could have eternal life, so that we could, could be his, his vessels, his, his instruments of grace here upon the earth. This is not just a, a message for, for us. It is a message for all people everywhere. And this table reminds us of the, the, the very privileged position that we have as children of God. If the stewards would come forward um, to, to hand out the emblems. I ask that if you need to spend some time praying, need to spend some time talking with God, need to spend some time refocusing your, your energy. Do that. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a missional God, that you sent Jesus from, from heaven to, to breathe the dust of this earth. And humbly he, he died. He didn't just die an ordinary death, but, a, but an extraordinary death on a cross of all things experiencing the anguish and the pain that comes along with that. And Lord, as we come around this table that, that reminds us of the, the death that he died in order that we could have peace with God, righteousness. Lord, we ask that we would have an eternal mindset not focusing in on, on, on what our troubles are right now, but, Lord, giving them over to you. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to make disciples, both here in this place, in our, in our community, in our state, in our nation, and in, in our world as well. We would continue to be the Lord of the harvest that you would send labourers out into your harvest field and that we would be willing to go. Lord, I pray as, as opportunities come up this week to share your, your gospel, proclaim the kingdom of God, Lord. We, we ask for your leading and guiding in that to give us the words to say, the actions to do in order to... to to have a huge impact for you in this earth. Even if it is just in the life of one person. Lord, may we see that that is worth it.
We thank you for the, the example that we have here of, of the 72 and their, their rejoicing in, in the fact that they were able to engage in your mission. And Lord, we rejoice that through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we have our names written in heaven. And it is only through the name of Jesus Christ that that can be true. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. As the emblems are handed around, I ask that you